Hi, it's Matthew from PanicAttackRecovery.com. We often like to provide a podcast version of our YouTube videos because people like having content in different formats. As well, we like to offer a lengthier version of our material, and we have found that extended versions work much better through the podcast format. Today, like many other podcasts, I'm going to raise a question that came from a subscriber to the Panic Attack Recovery newsletter. They were asking if there is a link between alcohol and panic attacks. Now, when I thought about this question initially, I thought, well, it makes sense that most people know that alcohol can be used as a means of escape. So it does seem to follow that people would be drawn to it for this very reason. And, you know, some sufferers of panic attacks do seem to be drawn to alcohol, in my experience, and relating to others with panic attacks. And there does seem to be a correlation in the research and reviewing it in some cases between alcohol and panic attacks, as we'll discuss. The first study was done by a group of researchers, and they found a stronger association than what would be left to chance, as they put it, between alcohol and panic attacks. They also found an overlap in the symptoms of panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and alcohol withdrawal. So certainly the evidence is beginning to stack that there's a correlation here, at least from this study. Another group of researchers indicated that studies on alcoholic patients have found a higher than expected occurrence of panic disorder and suggest a positive correlation between the level of alcohol consumption and the severity of the anxiety. What's interesting, these researchers also found an increased prevalence of alcoholism among patients with panic disorder and their blood relatives. In other words, there could be a hereditary genetic component to alcoholism, but also perhaps with panic disorder or perhaps both of these things. There's no conclusion in this, but it does raise some interesting questions. A comparison of symptoms that these researchers looked at when they looked at the physiological and neurochemical changes that occur between alcohol withdrawal and panic disorder reveals a degree of similarity in the researcher's opinion between the condition of panic disorder and alcohol withdrawal. So based on the data, these researchers propose that the chemical and cognitive changes occurring as a result of repeated alcohol withdrawals may kindle and condition coincidence of panic attacks in susceptible individuals. And there's other research I've been reviewing and, and looking at, and I would encourage all individuals to look at, at the research themselves. You can get this on PubMed online and other sources online, credible sources of information and other media to find yourself. But what's interesting is other research I looked at on substance abuses in general, so not just alcoholism or alcohol abuse, but also other substance abuse, you know, drugs. And one interesting case looked at undiagnosed mood disorders and ADHD and they found that self-medicating for these conditions occurred, especially when it was an undiagnosed condition, the individual was attempting to self-medicate their condition. And in fact, sometimes even people who used speed, the drug speed, were actually treating their ADHD with speed. And believe it or not, it actually worked. Now, obviously it wasn't good for them to be using speed, but what I mean by worked was it actually helped their ADHD somewhat in their functioning. And other people with mood disorders, you, you know, someone could have depression and they're drawn to alcoholism as a means of escaping, a means of feeling better from the depression, or they feel it makes them feel better, the depression, by drinking. And one might say, well, they got the depression from alcoholism. It's certainly very possible as well, is it not, that if one were depressed, they might be drawn to drink and other substance abuse. 
There's also research that looks at nicotine use and smoking, in other words, in people that have ADHD. And what they found is that if you don't treat the underlying ADHD, it's very unlikely that they'll ever successfully kick the habit of smoking. Because again, in this case, they're self-medicating with nicotine. There's a link between the mechanism of nicotine in the brain and ADHD, and that nicotine in some way actually helps the ADHD. And that's why some people are drawn to smoking when they have ADHD. Now, I don't know all of the ins and outs of the research on this, but I would encourage you again to, to do your own research. And this isn't about ADHD, this podcast, but it is about undiagnosed conditions and people self-medicating. And I would encourage you to consider more information about that. A number of professionals have expressed this correlation, and I would encourage you to look at that information yourself. But ultimately, one might ask the question, what can you do if you find yourself in any of these um, predicaments, in this predicament of abusing a substance because you're trying to self-medicate? Well, first of all, it's very important to reach out for help from a professional if you have a problem misusing alcohol or any other substance. I think that goes without saying, but it does need to be said. It could be that you also have an undiagnosed or untreated condition that I mentioned earlier that needs to be addressed in order to fully ensure your treatment with a dependency problem. So in other words, if you have an underlying condition like depression, another mood disorder, ADHD, etc., if you don't address that, you're not going to be able to address your treatment with a dependency problem as well. And again, do your own research, look out, go to professionals, ask them uh, about this information to verify that. But I, I would throw it out there because I think it's a very important step that you seek a professional. Right now, however, I would like to share with you some promising information. Uh, another group of scientists found that those with co-occurring alcohol dependency and panic disorder were helped by cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. When trials were conducted after 30 days, both the number of individuals meeting their criteria for panic disorder and the number of individuals meeting the criteria for alcohol dependency had decreased. Now at panicattackrecovery.com, we recommend to anxiety sufferers, as you no doubt if you've listened to other podcasts of mine, particularly those who have not considered CBT, to give CBT a shot. Give it a try. In a nutshell, the process of CBT involves two broad steps. Number one, locating the cognitive distortions that may be causing your anxiety and panic attacks. Number two, replacing those distortions with healthier and accurate thoughts that make you feel better. This is a simplistic presentation of CBT, but you can easily carry this process further if you go to my website after this podcast, and you can obtain more information about CBT actually being applied in specific examples, so please feel free to visit my website. You can also obtain specific references to the research mentioned in this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode. Stay tuned for new content every week through our various media. We present our information through an assortment of formats aimed to suit a range of preferences. This is because people often learn best through particular formats suitable to them as individuals. One of our principles at PanicAttackRecovery.com is to offer real help that can be tailored to the individual. We would encourage you to take three steps. Number one, sign up for our free newsletter. Number two, follow us on Twitter. And number three, subscribe to our YouTube channel. This way, you can be assured you are not missing out on any content. 
You can access all of these options by visiting our website at panicattackrecovery.com. Through our website, you can also obtain a great deal of written material about panic attacks, anxiety, and agoraphobia, along with references to the research mentioned in our episodes. All information presented in these podcasts is provided for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for a psychologist, psychiatrist, or other healthcare provider's consultation. Please consult a psychologist, psychiatrist, or appropriate healthcare provider about the applicability of any opinions or recommendations with respect to your own panic attacks, anxiety, or agoraphobia, or any other symptom or condition.